0: What I'm learning, I'm doing with this podcast is I am taking words and concepts that people say and breaking them down into like, okay, but why? (laughs) So like in my first episode, it was all about the nervous system and money. And it's getting more and more common to hear people say, oh, my nervous system is triggered or... I, you know, need to just focus on regulating my nervous system. And, you know, I'll say, oh, your nervous system is so connected to money. You need to first focus on your nervous system before you focus on money. And it's like, OK, but why? You know, what is the nervous system even? When I say nervous system, what is that even? What am I meaning by that? And that's what I broke down in the first episode where I really dove into what our nervous system is, the different like physiological components of it, and then how that connects to our mind and our, our thinking. And it was really about how we react when we are triggered by money. And what I want to break down even further today is why is money triggering or activating of our nervous system in the first place? And I don't want to just say money's triggering because we have a culture based on scarcity. And I don't want to hear we have a a culture based on scarcity because of capitalism. I want to hear that, like, broken down even further. So we have a culture based on scarcity. What is scarcity? It's because of capitalism to a certain extent? Okay, well, what about capitalism? And I share all this information because I know it's pretty you know, like economics or neuroscience-based, which is maybe more sciencey than even the podcast I normally listen to. But I think this information is so helpful to hear because it helps us understand the words that we use more. So when you hear someone say scarcity mindset, you know what that means and you know why people have a scarcity mindset and then the opposite of that as well like abundance mindset isn't just this like term that feels really ambiguous and like soft and fluffy but you understand like what an abundance mindset is and I'm not going to go into that in this episode I think that's the, the next one but I actually get into more like let's get away from abundance mindset and more to abundance embodiment. So that's a little teaser for episode three, which I have been putting so much freaking research into these episodes, and I hope that, like, going forward, um, maybe they'll be less, like, educational-based, and I could just kind of riff, but for the time being, I'm feeling called to do it this way. So we're going to just break down the real facts, and I hope do it in a way that feels really digestible and understandable so as we're you know, talking about these complex things like the nervous system, neuroscience, systems that we're involved in, like the economy, like capitalism, and how that impacts us, that I'm saying it in a way that makes sense, that breaks it down, that I'm using everyday language and not words that you have to like look up or Google to understand. So with all that aside, today is like part two to the first episode, I guess, in a way, because in that one, as I mentioned, we jumped right into like what happens when we're triggered by money, when we see money as a threat, when we have a fear around money. But in this one, I want to go into more about, as I said, why, why we fear money. And this underlying fear that we have is, is really connected to this fear of never having enough or being enough, and that at any moment, all we have could be gone. And that is called scarcity. And so that's what we're gonna break down today. One other thing that I say a lot is that if you struggle with money, it's not your fault. And that really resonates with people. I say, it's not your fault, it's a systemic issue. And that just seems to lift a huge weight off people's shoulders, allows them to take a deep breath, just even hearing that. Because in our society, so much of the problems that we face are put on the shoulders of the individuals. Like when I was 22 or something, I went to, eat, um, I went to outpatient eating disorder treatment and they made me feel like everything was my fault. I remember they looked over my shoulder while I was eating food and criticized me for drinking water in between bites. And I just felt this immense pressure like something was wrong with me. And I always wondered why I went to that program because it just made me feel like something was wrong with me. And through my own healing and research, I really got to the point where so many of these things are systemic that we internalize that my, you know, issues with food that I've had really aren't my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. And it's the same thing with money. We're made to feel that something is wrong with us. If we're struggling with money, like we're not planning enough, or we're not working hard enough, or we didn't pick the right job or whatever. So if you struggle with money, what's happening is your your nervous system is responding to a threat. And I'm going to break down that threat and really how that's tied to scarcity. We'll start with the American dream. So I know that not everyone that listens to my podcast lives in the United States. But this is kind of going to be the focus. And I I feel like if you're in a Western culture, or maybe even not, you'll be able to draw some parallels. And I'd be interested to hear what Um, resonates with you and and maybe what are some of the cultural differences. But in the United States, our culture loves hearing rigs to riches stories. And they just really romanticize the idea that if you work hard enough, like anyone can make it, anyone can become rich. And this is, you know, that's an amazing story. But it really believes that income inequality is like essential That we need this income inequality to motivate people to go from that rags to to riches, to work harder, to strive for more. And I'm going to get a little, um, put my economist hat on for a second, dusting off my uh, Bachelor of Arts in Economics. Um... There's this book called Capitalism and Freedom, and it came out in 1962, and it was by this conservative, influential economist named Milton Friedman. And he argued that income inequality is a necessary part of society. And he saw that because it was, he believed that it was motivating, that it really provided people, like, with opportunity to have social mobility and to climb the ladder. And the thing about America is that it's really like an experiment. And maybe like the beliefs of the past, as, they, as they've changed, we need to update our thinking based on what we know today. And so when that was published in 1962, that was over 60 years ago. Back then in 1963, families near the, the top of the economic ladder that had the most money had six times the wealth of the families in the middle. For, so for they had $6 for every $1. But by 2016, they had 12 times the wealth of families in the middle. So they had $12 for $1. So you can just see how that that wealth gap, that economic inequality has just been growing. And because it's getting so big, that gap is far from motivating for many Americans. And I'll speak to that in this podcast. And this income inequality continues to be one of the most pressing issues of our time. And I'll dig into really how it shapes how we think, act and feel about our money and our lives. And something I've learned is that in societies with high inequality like the United States, even though it's the richest country in the world, people feel like they don't have enough and are poor even if they're not. So, in fact, you'd think that people would be better off in the United States because it's a rich country, but because of this income inequality is so high, because of this big and growing wealth gap, people feel more poor. Even if, you know, literally they're not as poor, they feel poor in the U.S. than in countries that have a more equal distribution of wealth. And it comes back to, like, we don't have a sensation in our body for money to know when we're satiated and and when we have had enough, like we do for food. You know, with food, if you're tapped into your hunger fullness cues, you can answer, no, I'm still hungry or yes, I'm full. But with money, we don't have that. The only way that we can make a judgment about if we have enough money or not is by comparing ourselves to other people. So if we feel like we have less money than other people, then no matter how much money we actually have, we feel poor comparatively. So that comparison makes us feel poor and gives us the scarcity mindset around money. So that scarcity mindset of feeling like you'll never have enough. So in this case, even if you're not facing physical scarcity, when there is inequality, you can suffer the same negative consequences of scarcity because you feel like you have less than others. It's, you know, this keeping up with the Joneses Joneses effect or maybe rather keeping up with the Kardashians. And this experience of, of scarcity in the mind, in the body is the same whether a person is facing physical scarcity or perceived scarcity. So physical scarcity, meaning the literal unavailability of what you need to survive, which is an extreme version of scarcity and is the reality for for people that are poor, that are living in poverty. But for those that are in this perceived scarcity, they they feel like they don't have enough of whatever they need, be that time, money, food, or access to opportunities like education or career opportunities. And this perceived scarcity doesn't have to do with your material circumstances, but really how you compare yourself to others. And research shows that only about 20% of people who report feeling poor are actually poor. Isn't that wild? So what's up with the 80% of people who said they feel poor but actually aren't? And there's some stats behind this, which is the highest income brackets have experienced significant increases in the number of people living paycheck to paycheck, from May to June 2022 with the biggest rise in paycheck to paycheck consumers being for those that earn between $100,000 and $150,000. So a lot of people think the answer to their money problems are just making more money, getting to the six figures. But the truth is how you feel about money can shape your life as much as or more than any other factor. So it's not even necessarily how much you have. To a certain extent, yes, if you're facing that physical scarcity and you're not getting your you know, most basic needs met, then that does make a difference with having enough money to meet those basic needs. But after that, you know, we're seeing here that people in the six figures are still living paycheck to paycheck. Even 41%... Of people earning between one hundred fifty thousand dollars and two hundred thousand dollars annually, lived paycheck to paycheck in June twenty twenty two, which is up um, six percentage points uh, in from May. So it's it's increasing. It's it's people that have you know well into six figure incomes living paycheck to paycheck, and it's because that feeling is really based on someone's expenses. So even if they're making well into the six figure range, they may feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck or barely scraping by which sounds wild but as the stats we just talked about it's becoming more and more common and let's dig into like the effect of scarcity on ourselves on how we think and how we feel so when faced with scarcity that feeling of of never having enough our minds obsess over what we are lacking what we feel we are missing like when you're hungry all you can think about is food when you are single all you can think about is finding love when you don't have enough time, all you can think about is vacation or quitting your job. When you're tired, all you can think about is taking a nap or going to bed. So even if we aren't aware of it, when we experience scarcity, not even just the kind that have to do with getting our most be- basic needs met, but you know, just with whatever we're experiencing, we become absorbed by it and then all you can think about is what you feel you lack. I think a a classic example of this is during the COVID-19 pandemic, remember people were freaking out about toilet paper and sanitizing wipes and they were just buying them all up. You know, there was like, it looked like the end times where there wasn't any toilet paper or sanitizing wipes or paper towels at the store. It's, It's because people thought that there wasn't enough of them and they needed to get as many as they could to protect themselves and then at the the stores you know they they started putting a limit on how many you could buy and that's just such a clear example of scarcity thinking because in that toilet paper example you're only thinking about your toilet paper needs you're not thinking about your neighbor's toilet paper needs and that scarcity puts blinders on so we just focus on our immediate concerns we become more selfish and forget about others And this is called tunneling, where we become more attentive and efficient at managing pressing needs in daily life, you know, tunnel vision. So we can, we can use this tunnel vision to our advantage at times, like when there's a deadline and we hunker down and focus on getting something done. Or if you've heard of the productivity tool time boxing can be really effective where you set aside all right I'm just going to work for 20 minutes on this task and then I'm going to you know take a break or whatever so there is some pros to this but on the the con side of it of tunnel vision is this thing called tunneling tax so when you're super focused on one thing it really limits your ability to show up fully and be present for other things going on in life I'll give an example that I think many women can relate to. And it's that for, I don't know, about a decade of my life, I was obsessed with weight loss, dieting, counting calories. And this was especially true for me in college. I would sit in class and be thinking about what I ate that day, how many calories it was, how many miles I need to run to burn it off, and what I could do to try to convince myself to not eat any carbs or dessert at dinner that night. So between cutting and burning calories, I created this perceived lack of food and as a result I became obsessed with food. I seriously would focus so much on food that I barely had any space in my brain left to learn. Just like this example of sitting in class instead of actually absorbing the information, I was focusing on food. And in this book called Scarcity, very unique name, They explain this well and they say, scarcity reduces our ability to manage and compute information known as our bandwidth. Our bandwidth measures our ability to pay attention, make good decision, stick to plans, resist temptations, and so on. Scarcity uses up our bandwidth, which has negative impact on many aspects of our behavior, such as our patience, tolerance, attention, and dedication. So why does scarcity tax our bandwidth? Well, I spoke to this in my first episode where I dive way into the threat reflex and how our nervous system is constantly scanning, trying to keep us safe. And scarcity is is essentially this feeling of of threat, a, a feeling of threat to our ability to get our needs met. When we're feeling scarcity, we think that we won't be able to meet our needs. And to summarize part of the last episode, when we're under threat, we're not actually able to access this rational, logical, long-term executive functioning part of our brain. Because we have these two systems for how we think. We have system one thinking, which is known as the automatic thinking, where we respond fast instantaneously to stimulus and environment. And this is really focused on survival and is very emotion driven. We also have system two thinking which is our ability to do thinking, uh, to think strategically, to make logical rational decisions and manage impulse control. System two has this top-down attention where the mind is directed by our conscious effort to focus our attention and, and to think about something. But when our nervous system is activated, when it perceives something is a threat to our safety, our system two thinking goes offline and we are left with our automatic system one thinking. And scarcity triggers this threat reflex in us because it makes us fear that we won't have enough of the things we need. We won't be able to meet our needs. And this feeling of scarcity propels us into survival mode using the system one thinking. This flip of the switch is involuntary, it's very powerful, and it's really hard to escape unless we have some slack. Scarcity can really be a slippery slope and lead to this thing called the scarcity trap. Once we fall into the scarcity trap, we are living in this place of feeling rushed, where everything feels urgent and we're constantly falling behind, and it leads us to feeling even more tired and and burned out. It keeps us stuck in this chronic state of stress and this fight part of our nervous system. If we feel like we can do something about it, but eventually we fall into freeze where we can't do anything to where we feel like we can't do anything to change our current situation. So this scarcity really activates our nervous system into that sympathetic, that fight or flight. Or. You know, if we feel like we can't do anything about our situation into that freeze collapse in our parasympathetic. And if you haven't listened to my first episode yet, I invite you to do so because I really break down that threat reflex and the different states of our nervous system. So this feeling where you just feel like you can't get ahead and the stress just keeps piling up and everything just feels increasingly overwhelming There's this time scarcity and this feeling like you're always in a rush. And then you just get into this place maybe eventually where you're like, why try? Which really feels very paralyzing and in that freeze state of your nervous system. I think maybe some of you can relate to having a series of deadlines where you fall behind on one and it's really hard to play catch up to get to another. And so to a certain extent, you just keep falling behind even more and then this is where avoidance really picks up when something just feels so overwhelming that it's not manageable, that you just avoid it in general. And the scarcity trap is easy to fall into, but there is a way out. And the way out is by bringing space to our lives, stepping out of this place of urgency and giving ourselves some slack, cutting ourselves some slack. Putting in a buffer in our lives. In this book, Scarcity, that I mentioned, they use the analogy of a suitcase. So when you're packing for a trip, you fill your suitcase to the brim, then you don't have any space left in it if you forget to include something that you really need. However, if you intentionally leave space in the suitcase, then you'll have resources to deal with the unexpected. You'll have space to, you know, fit something else in. And that's one way to escape this scarcity trap is by creating more space in your life, but the unfortunate reality is that creating this this slack and space in life is more challenging for some than for others. Low income earners simply don't have as much time, energy, or have the resources available to them to save money and, and create financial slack and a safety net. As a result of scarcity, You also could have a harder time thinking about the future and have a hyper-focus on the present, like what's right in front of you, and this can lead to bad decisions. When we are looking at ways to just get by in the present moment versus looking at what might be best for us in the long-term, this short-sightedness can bring about less than ideal decisions and dig us even deeper into this scarcity trap. Another thing about scarcity is it it skews people's perception of reality. So people who have less money often tend to feel powerless and n- don't feel like they have as much agency to make a difference in their life. And as a result to try to feel like they have a sense of agency or control, they look for patterns of, of randomness or to the universal and spiritual side of things to feel like they can do something to make a difference in their life. They tend to look to more of like the universal or the spiritual side of things to feel like there's some sort of action that they can take. And I believe this is where manifestation rhetoric and some spiritual teachings can be dangerous for people who struggle with money and actually make some problems worse. So instead of focusing on things that might actually move the needle in their money life, people who struggle with money and have this spiritual inclination tend to do spiritual bypassing. So they use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid money. This might look like doing affirmations or, you know, looking for signs that can provide this, this feeling of control or forward motion and, and change in your life. But if you're only doing these spiritual things and not actually doing and taking action on things that directly improve your money life, it could just be wasting time and, and making decisions that get you further and further away from improving your financial situation. Because the truth is the rich that keep getting richer are not getting richer because they're doing all the affirmations and and healing their money blocks. It's because they invest in the stock market. Back in October 2021, the wealthiest 10% of Americans owned 89% of all U.S. stocks held by households and nearly 70% of wealth gains during the pandemic, which was one of the fastest wealth booms in recent history, came from stocks. So in a way, then you can see people that are struggling with money and maybe even have that spiritual inclination, if you're just getting stuck really in the affirmations and doing the healing parts of things on the inside, that might not actually and probably won't make a real difference on the outside on your actual financial situation. It's really by taking action to invest in your future that you can start to change your reality. And I know a lot of this scarcity talk feels a little you know like a a buzzkill or something, a little bit of a downer. And I'm just going to share a few solutions that we what are the things that we can do when we're in this this system that It's very unequal right now. And we talked about how this inequality really drives greater feelings of scarcity. So even if you have money, this inequality can make you feel poor just because in comparison, you have so much less. And the impact of scarcity impacts our bodies and our minds. So when we look at the states of the nervous system, which we learned from polyvagal theory, there is a hierarchy identifying three states of the nervous system. And in the first podcast, I go into this in more depth. But at the top of the ladder is ventral vagal, which is the state of safety and connection. So when your nervous system is regulated, you are in ventral vagal, which is a part of the parasympathetic nervous system. And in this state, you navigate the world with safety, flexibility, you explore options, you see possibilities, you connect and create. And when this state is active, this is really the state of abundance. And it's when the optimal state to be in when making money decisions because you see possibilities. You aren't just in that tunnel vision. You're able to think big and strategically strategically and thoughtfully and really explore what options and feel into what's best for you but if you're in this place of scarcity and you're feeling overwhelmed by it and your nervous system is being activated then you go down the ladder from ventral vagal into the sympathetic nervous system and into some sort of fight or flight and in our culture, we're in fight a lot. We're really having to hustle and grind it out, which is pushing into our sympathetic a lot without having a lot of rest. Or you could be in flight where you might be totally avoiding work altogether and just feeling like you're just going to avoid this threat and that it's something that isn't for you to a certain extent. Then if you know fight or flight doesn't work, then you move down into that immobilization and disconnection of the dorsal vagal system, which is freezer collapse and a part of the parasympathetic nervous system. So these two lower rungs, the sympathetic, the fight or flight, and the parasympathetic freezer collapse, those are states of scarcity in the body. Those are states of scarcity. That's when you're in the tunnel vision, you're not seeing the options, and you're really just trying to survive. So that is the state of scarcity in in the body. The state of abundance in the body is in that ventral vagal, that safe and connected state. That is the state of abundance. That is when you see possibilities. I'd like to define abundance as believing in possibilities. And to me, believing in possibilities is dreaming. So abundance really is dreaming. It's this ability to be in a place, to think expansively, to think creatively and see possibilities. But when we're just in this scarcity culture, it can be really challenging to live our life from a state of abundance, from the ventral vagal part of the nervous system. And, you know, we're in the hustle and grind often and in that sympathetic nervous system or with a lot of the income inequality where like some of these systemic things, there's not something we can do day in and day out about it. And it can feel very paralyzing and just giving up that hopelessness. And that's the nervous system of collapse and freeze. So when we think about what can we do, what can we do? The first thing is to attune to your nervous system to listen to your nervous system and to learn the language of your nervous system. So when you're going through life, building that mindfulness of the sensations in your body, which is called interoception, which is another sense beyond the five senses. So you can pay attention to how you're feeling and knowing what state of the nervous system that you're in and coming back to a regulated place, to that place of safe and connected and experimenting with what tools help you downregulate from the sympathetic and from collapse and help you come into that place of calm and centeredness and groundedness and expansiveness and intuition and dreaming and possibility of your nervous system when it's in that safe and connected state. So that's the first thing that you can do, is working on your nervous system and regulating your nervous system. The other thing that you can do is, of course, combat inequality and do this through through voting. And putting pressure on lawmakers to create policies that distribute income and raise the bottom rungs of the ladder, but also lower the top. Because really this idea of social mobility, of being able to have the rags to, to riches, is less and less true in our country. There's data from the Federal Reserve that indicates as of Q4 2021, the top 1% of households in the United States held 32.3% of the country's wealth, while the bottom 50% held 216 And in recent decades, wealth inequality has substantially increased in the United States, and the ability to you know, have that American dream, that to rich's dream, is less and less possible. The truth is United States ranks 27th in the global social mobility index and research shows that in the United States, the rate of upward absolute income mobility, the fraction of children who grow up to earn more than their parents after adjusting for inflation has declined substantially over the past 50 years. So more than 90% of children born in 1940 had higher real incomes at the age of 30 than their parents, but only about 50%. Of children born in 1980 can say the same. So as you can see, the ability for these younger generations to earn more than their parents is, is declining. And so the ability to have this social mobility is really dwindling and wealth gap is growing. And so there's this opportunity to put pressure on lawmakers to create new policies and have systemic change so that we can not have to only do the work inside of our own nervous system, but be able to do this the systemic work collectively. And thirdly, I, I spoke to this a little bit today, but around embodying abundance. So attuning to your nervous system as it is today, but then working on regulating it and also growing your ability to embody abundance and in my next episode I think that that's what I'll really focus on is how to embody abundance and what misconceptions there are about abundance in our culture today and how you know really what is abundance and it's not just about money but really it's this feeling of seeing possibilities and dreaming and listening to your intuition and, and connecting to those intuitive pulls. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know that there's a lot of uh, stats and facts and economics and behavioral science. And I like nerding out about that kind of thing. And I think I just feel really called to share this. I I love connecting some more of these spiritual things that we learn around abundance and manifestation and also bringing like the reality of, okay, what does that mean in terms of Like what is abundance from a scientific perspective, I guess, to a certain extent or from like an embodiment perspective? And and then what from systemic level is causing the scarcity and is inhibiting our abundance so that I think the more we are informed, the more that at least I can feel like I know what abundance is. And the more that I convince myself of knowing what it is the more that I feel like I can believe in it. So like the more I I really know what abundance is and how it works and what it means in a very tactical way, then that gives myself permission to lean into more of the magic. And so I, I do want to speak to more of the magic and getting into the magic of abundance in the next episode. So thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, please let me know. And just a reminder, At the um, beginning of November, we'll have the second monthly money circle for women, which was such a powerful space and it only costs $3, which is a donation. And it's really a time to reflect on the money inflows and outflows for the month. And if you're only going to do one thing with money, this is the thing to do because coming together with other women makes it so much easier to look at your money every month because we're doing it together and. We're co-regulating with each other to really help one another feel supported. And it's not a space where you come and, like, share numbers. It's a place where you're witnessed, so we don't give advice. It's really just a place to learn and to be in community with each other. I also um, have one-on-ones open, so if you want to work with me one-on-one, we dive you know, deeper into customizing this work for you. And it's all around my three pillars of working through nervous system. So how can you expand your nervous system's capacity to do more with money, to feel into abundance? It's also around money management. So getting into the tactical practical tools of creating financial systems and automations that make money less overwhelming from the beginning and more streamlined and easy to do. And then also connecting with intuition and dreaming as I got into today. But really the purpose of doing all this money work is so that we can use it to, to live a life that makes us feel alive. And that's really my mission is how can we, you know, shift into abundance more with money and also through an embodiment perspective to dream and to put our, re- our dreams into reality. So I invite you to reach out to me and thank you for tuning in.